Hello, everyone. Welcome here. Today's sermon is brought to you by three words, okay? Simple, simple, and complex, okay? Now, I know this is going to feel a little embarrassing for some of you, but wherever you are at home, I want you to say those words with me out loud, all right? Okay? Simple, simple, complex, okay? That's today's sermon is brought to you by those three words. Now, you, by the end of this sermon, you're going to know what those words mean, and it, they're also going to help you remember this message, okay? But now we're going to forget about them for just a moment. We're in the middle of a series now, okay? This is part three of our series here at Crossview, where we're working through our vision and our mission statement and in the, in the, in our four pillars as a church. And so I'm going to put that back up on the screen there again. Here's our mission statement, our whole mission statement at Crossview. The whole reason we exist is simply for one reason. And that's because we want to be a people who worship Jesus with our whole lives. That's my goal for my life. That's my goal for my family's life. That's my goal for all of you. And that's our, our board's goal for you and our staff's goal for all of you, young and old, married and single, uh, to worship Jesus with our whole lives. So that means we don't just worship Jesus on the weekend, uh, on a service, okay, when, when we're singing. Because that's beautiful and inspiring. But worship Jesus with your whole life. Everything you do, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, can be an act of worship to God. And then we have our four pillars. And that's what we've been working through. Everything is spiritual. Justice and mission. We talked about that last week. Uh, okay. Emotional health. Okay. And character. Caleb's going to be talking about that next week. And then our fourth one is renew the mind. But today, before we talk about those last two pillars, we're going to talk about the foundation. So the four pillars and the worship Jesus with your whole life is built on a foundation of the Bible and the gospel message. Okay. Scripture has to be the foundation. Okay. We can't just decide who we want Jesus to be. We can't just decide, oh, this is what I want to believe and this is who God is. We need an authority to guide us, all right? And here at Crossview and as evangelical Christians, the Bible is our foundation. It's the authority that tells us who God is. It tells us how to be saved and it tells us, you know, right and wrong. That's our authority. So, you know, you'll notice every week here at Crossview, when I'm preaching or one of the other uh, people from the the, uh, the preaching team are, are teaching, we're always coming at it from Scripture, okay? Because we're not just, we can't just, as, as a Christian community, we can't just make up whatever we want, right? So, you know, last week when I was speaking on justice and mission, I didn't just come and tell you, you know, I'm personally passionate about justice and mission, so that's a vision for our church. No, what I started with was I started with Isaiah 58 and this, you know, God says, what kind of people do I want you to be? What kind of prayers do I want you to pray? And then he says, it's the kind of prayer that leads to justice. And then we looked at the Good Samaritan parable. And we looked at, you know, Jesus telling us who should we be doing justice to, okay? But all of it rooted in Scripture. So here at Crossview, we build our four pillars. We build our mission statement of worship Jesus with our whole life on the foundation of Scripture. Now, just because we're trying, and I put that word trying, to build our church on a foundation of Scripture here at Crossview, doesn't mean we get everything right, okay? So we have to have a lot of humility here. Okay, so, you know, it'd be easy for us to say, you know, here at Crossway, we build our mission and our vision all on the foundation of Scripture, which can make it sound like we have the way and we have the truth. Okay, that we're, that we, you know, here at Crossway, we're ahead of everybody else. And that's just not true. Fact of the matter is, we have to have humility. 
And the Bible is a complex book and there's many different ways of approaching it. There's many different ways and many different passages of interpreting it. If there weren't, there wouldn't be 45,000. So I looked this up on the World Christian Encyclopedia from uh, Gordon Cromwell, uh, Cromwell uh, University in the States. And, uh, and uh, they, so they put together a lot of the, you know, they do a lot of studies on the global church. And for 2021, their number is, there's about 45,600 different denominations in the world. Uh, what does that tell us? It tells us that there are many different ways to approach scripture, practice scripture, and interpret scripture, okay? Uh, another one of the stats they had there at the World uh, Christian Encyclopedia is that as of right now, there are a little over 4 million different uh, congregation. So what, what, you know, why do I bring those numbers up? I bring those numbers up because when we talk about our foundation being scripture, we still want to be humble. The Bible is a complicated book and Christians approach the Bible and practice the Bible and interpret the Bible in many different ways. And here at Crossview, even though we're building, trying to build our vision and mission on the Bible, we don't want to say we are the way. That we're the only way, that we're the church. You know, I, I'm always a little suspicious anytime you hear, you know, uh, a church that thinks they have finally found the secret. After 2,000 years, they've found the secret to doing church or the way of looking at doctrine. Um, there's many ways, and we want to embrace unity with the universal church. And of course, too often in the past, and many of us, and, and certainly myself preaching this, have too often in the past engaged in bashing each other, you know, Christians bashing each other uh, and using the Bible to do that. You know, we've built our church in the Bible, but you haven't and all sort of stuff. And that's just something we just don't want to go there here at Crossview ever. Now, of course, there's this fear now. The moment I bring up Hey, there's 45,000 plus denominations. There's 4 million plus, you know, individual congregations in the world. And there's all these different ways to interpret the Bible and stuff. Right away, I know there's a fear. I can feel it. Some of you are feeling it right now. And the fear is, well, then how do we know what's true? You know, if there's so many different ways of interpreting scripture, how do we know that any of which one is, you know, the right way? Is there, you know, can we just make up whatever we want to believe about scripture? And the answer to that is no, okay? And this is what you need to know. So remember, remember this message is brought to you by Simple, Simple Complex, okay? And so the first, I want to bring out the first simple for you, okay? The first simple. Even though there's, you know, thousands of different denominations and congregations and different ways of approaching scripture, one thing we can all agree on, okay, is is the gospel message and Jesus. That is the foundation where we can all agree as Christians. And I'm going to put this up on the screen for you right now. There's four things that as Christians, as historically Orthodox Christians, we can all agree on, no matter how many different expressions and different ways of interpreting different passages and stuff, we can all agree on this, that God took on flesh and became a real man. His name was Jesus. It happened about 2,000 years ago. We can all agree on that. We can all agree that that Jesus, that man, God in the flesh, Jesus, died on the cross. That he rose from the dead and that forgiveness for our sins and eternal life 
are given to all of those, all of us who put our faith in Jesus. That's the core and that part's simple. Those four things are the simple, those are the core. And there's lots of disagreements. You know, what does eternal life look like? And 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 those are important disagreements. And, and we should, you know, we should study to see what those things are. But in spite of all the many differences, right? And and exactly how did Jesus, you know, is it Calvinist and Arminianism? You know, how did Jesus pay for our sins? We can disagree and churches do disagree over all those things. But the basic four principles we all agree on, okay? That's the core. And whenever you're getting freaked out, if you're sitting in a message or if you're sitting in this message and you ever start to freak out and you start to think, well, how can we know anything? It just seems so complicated. Sometimes the Bible seems so complicated. I want you to come back to the simplicity of the core. The simplicity of the core. Jesus is God. He died. He rose again. And salvation and eternal life are found in him. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ... And there is first of importance. I've talked about this passage before. Paul definitely saw... Levels of importance in the scripture. Not every biblical passage is equally important. Not every biblical truth is equally important. Paul says, I passed on to you what is of first importance. And here's what's of first importance. It's the core that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. Now, I'm going to put up the diagram again of our vision and, you know, and our four pillars, our, our mission statement and our four pillars. And you'll notice the foundation is not just the Bible, it's specifically the Bible and the gospel. Because the core of the Bible, it's not just kind of the Bible in general, it's specifically the Bible and within the Bible, the gospel message of Jesus. That's the foundation, okay? That's the part that all of us as Christians can agree on. And Jesus himself said that the whole point of scripture is to point us to him. He said this in a very famous passage in John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. So first of all, yes, and we're going to get to the complex part, but the first thing you have to understand is with all the 45,000 different denominations and the 4 million congregations and all of that, and all the different ways of interpreting scripture within the Bible, the gospel message itself is simple. It's all about Jesus. Now, there's something else that's simple in the Bible. Remember, simple, simple, and complex. The second simple is the primary action step of the Bible. See, people, you might be, uh, you might have a misunderstanding that the Bible has long lists of do's and don'ts, when in fact, the Bible has one primary command for all of us. The Bible's action step for you and for me, the Bible's calling to action for you and for me, is actually very simple to understand. Not always simple to do, simple to understand. And we find it here, Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. A man asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said this, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then I want you to notice in this next part, very important, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Actually, the Bible doesn't have a huge long list of do's and don'ts. What the Bible has is one primary command, and that is a command to love. To love God and to love people. And all the other commandments, and we're going to see this in, in just a moment. In fact, let's go there. Romans 13 shows us, and I'm going to break this passage up into three parts, but let's look at Romans 13, and it's going to show us that all the other commands actually just feed into love. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 13, he says this, Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, I'm going to put this up on the screen. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Next screen, okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You know what? It's actually not complicated to know the difference between what right and wrong. It's not, sometimes people have this feeling like, well, it's complicated to figure out what's right and wrong. It's not complicated. Don't steal because stealing hurts people. Don't commit adultery. Why? And don't have sex outside of marriage. Why? It hurts people, yourself included. Okay? Don't murder. Why? It hurts people. This is all part of love. Okay? And these commandments come under the command of love. And so we have our two simples. I'm going to put those up on the screen. The Bible. Simple gospel and simple calling. Simple gospel, Jesus is the way of salvation. Simple calling, love people, love God. So that's the simple and the simple. But we have a third word. And that brings us to the next question. Are you saying the Bible is simple? And the answer is, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the gospel message within the Bible is simple. And the calling to love is simple. To understand, not always to do. But the Bible itself is an incredibly complex book. You know, a, a verse, I, I sometimes hear too often, I think as Christians, we oversimplify things. We make it seem like the Bible is just an easy book to read. And if you can just read it on your own and understand it. Just pray and God will show you how to understand it. And the fact of the matter is, that's actually a little bit naive. But people who think that, it's actually more than a little naive, but people who think that will often point to a particular scripture that Jesus talked about. And I want to take you there. Matthew chapter 11. Okay. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, this is where, you know, too many preachers like myself and, and other preachers and pastors, we love to oversimplify things. We're trying to motivate people to read their Bibles. So we say, see, the Bible's easy. Even a child can understand it. Now, I want you to tell you something right now. Jesus is not talking about the Bible when he says, even a child can understand. And I know that to be true because there are so many. I'm not talking about one or two or three. We're talking about dozens and dozens of passages. Dozens that are very difficult that even adults struggle to understand. If you think that Jesus was saying that the Bible can be understood by little children, you should take your children, don't actually, I'm being a little sarcastic, but take your children to Genesis 38 
And uh, I won't even talk about the story here right now. Take them to Genesis 38 as just one example out of many in Genesis. Take them to Genesis 38. Have them read you the story out loud. Again, I'm being a little sarcastic. I don't actually think your small children should read this chapter. And see if they can explain it to you how you should apply that in your life today. Okay? Or how about Numbers 31 and the call to genocide but keep the virgins alive? That's another, you know, that's a difficult passage to understand and to apply. Or how about Revelation 9 and these things with hair flying around and, and, and what are these things? And they're coming out of the abyss. Scholars for 2,000 years have argued about what that passage means. No child is going to be able to give you a very good explanation of that passage. And we could go on and on. Read Romans chapter 9 to 11 and Paul's dense theological arguments. I mean, the entire book of, of Romans is often like that. Um, or Revelation 18 to 19. Did you know that? And we could go on and on and on with, I mean, the entire book of Leviticus is difficult to understand. The, the prophets, you know, Obadiah, read the book of Obadiah and go, okay, what is this? The Bible, when Jesus said even a child can understand it, he was not talking about the Bible. In fact, I want to show you in the Bible itself a passage of Scripture that says Scripture is hard to understand. Can I take you there? 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is the Apostle Peter talking about the Apostle Paul. And this is what he says. 2 Peter 3.16, he, this is Peter talking about Paul, so he, that's the Apostle Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things. Now, Peter is being gracious there. Anybody who has tried to work their way through the book of Romans or, you know, try to work your way through, you know, some of Paul's dense theological arguments and, and you know, some of the things in Corinthians even and stuff that, that Christians and churches have argued about for many, many years. Peter's being gracious when he says some. There's a lot. But anyway, he says some. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. That is a Bible verse talking about other passages of the Bible and saying they're actually hard to understand. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So, what on earth is Jesus talking about in Matthew 11 when he says, Thank you, Father, that you've revealed this to children. He's talking about the simple part of the Bible, which is the gospel message. He's not talking about the whole Bible. He's talking about the gospel message within the Bible that even a child can understand that Jesus is God's son and that Jesus is the way of salvation and that the trust in Jesus is the hope for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Even a child can grasp that. Even a child can discern in their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But there's so much more to the Bible than just the gospel message. So the gospel message is simple. The call to love is simple, but the Bible itself as a book is very complex, okay? Now, why is the Bible complex? Well, because it's, first of all, it's not just one book. It's many books. It's over 60 books by, you know, dozens of authors written over a period of 1,500 years, the earliest of which was 2,000 years ago. So it's an ancient compilation of ancient books. You don't just pick up a 2,000-year-old Babylonian text and read it and understand it. You don't just pick up a 3,000-year Assyrian text and just sit down and read it and understand it. That's a totally different culture. 
So the writers of scripture, their worldview was totally different than yours and mine. I wanna, I'm gonna put a picture up on the screen right now. Here's a diagram, and we've talked about this before in some of our messages and stuff here at Crossview, but here's a diagram of how the writers of scripture thought the universe looked, okay? And you see that the earth is flat, and there's pillars going down in the earth, that there's water underneath. The sky is a hard dome, okay? And and there's but there's windows in the in the in the dome, and that's how God sends down water, because there's an ocean on top of the dome, which is why the sky is blue, and on and on and on. It's not that they were stupid. The writers of scripture and the ancient people were not stupid. They just they just didn't have modern technology or modern understanding. It's taken us thousands of years as a human race to progress to this understanding. They had no concept of, a, of an earth that was a sphere or a solar system or galaxies or how the universe actually is. But God met them where they were at, okay? He met them where they were at. It's not that they were stupid. That's called accommodation. Now, let me tell you more about accommodation. When Jesus put on, took on human flesh, he accommodated to us, okay? When Jesus came down to earth 2,000 years ago, did he invent electricity so that he could build himself an air conditioner and then live in relative comfort? Did he invent the gas combustion engine so he could drive around in a car? He didn't do any of those things. What did he do? He wore robes. You know, he wore the same clothes as people did 2,000 years ago. He dressed and talked like a, a Jew of that time period. That's called accommodation. When he went to school, do you think when Jesus went to school as a young boy, I mean, this is the God of the universe who created everything. Do you think he, he corrected his teachers every time they said something about the earth or the stars or the moon and said, well, actually, the star is a burning ball of gas that's much bigger than the earth and it's 93 miles and million miles away. Do you think he did any of that? Of course not. When Jesus took on flesh, he came down and met people where they were at. Let me tell you something else. Same with the Bible. When God spoke to the writers of scripture, he didn't update their geography. He didn't update their biology. He didn't update their cosmology. He didn't do any of the ologies. He just came down and met them where, where they were at. Now, that made things very easy and good for the people who God was speaking to in the moment because they could understand what the writers of scripture were saying to them in the moment because those the writers of scripture were speaking in their language, in their culture, and in their context. But here we are, and depending on which book of the Bible it is, we could be 3,500 years later, we could be you know, 3,000 years later, we could be 2,000 years later, but depending on the context of the Bible, we're thousands of years later, and now we are trying to read stuff that was written to people in a totally different culture, in a totally different place in the world, in a totally different period of time. And that actually takes some work. Now, too many Christians today want to ignore this because there's like a theology that the Bible was written for me to have my own personal devotions. Now, yes, do we want to meditate on scripture and our devotions? Absolutely. But the Bible wasn't written to you in your personal devotions. It was written to people thousands of years ago, which means when you pick it up for your devotions, you actually need help to understand this. First of all, you need all the dozens and dozens and dozens of translators that were, you know, had to work on each of the English translations to get it to where it is today. But then we need other kinds of help. But there's this, 
philosophy that some Christians have that, no, no, God did not intend it that way. God intended this book to be easy for me to read and understand by myself, apart from any help from anywhere else. And so I just need to read the book in English and whatever the most obvious literal interpretation of that passage is, that's just the easy understanding. That's what God meant it to say. And a lot of Christians have this philosophy of the Bible. And the only problem with it is it's just not true. In fact, None of us actually can consistently apply the Bible in that easy, literal method without, first of all, going back to a pre-scientific worldview and, and getting rid of our understanding of the solar system and going back to a cosmology like ancient Israel. But there's so many other places where we're not consistent. For example, can I show you a lengthy passage in, in the New Testament? And I could show you a bunch in the Bible. But I'll, let, me, let's just, I'll, let me just show you one passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that... Almost nobody reads in the easy, most obvious, literal sense. We all read it and we all ignore and disobey it. Why? Because we intuitively know that the Bible was written in a different culture and we intuitively know that we can't just always take the easy meaning. For example, so let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 11 says very clearly that women must wear a covering on their head whenever they pray. Now I wonder how many of you women today plan or wear a hat, a cap on your head whenever you pray. Because the Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 very clearly that you should. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Now, what is the easy what is the most easy to read, obvious, literal understanding of that passage? <laughs> Put a hat on, ladies, when you pray. He goes on, verse 6. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. So he's also saying here that he doesn't like it when women have short haircuts. Then she should cover her head. Okay? Now here's the thing. There are lots of evangelical Christians that say, we just take the easy, the easiest, most literal interpretation of scripture and that's what we do. Actually, almost nobody does that. There's lots of scriptures you can't be, what they really mean is there's certain passages they do that with and then there's certain passages they don't think about. What about 1 Corinthians 15 verse 29? How about this one? I wonder how many of us take the easy, literal interpretation of this passage. Here's verse 29. Now, Paul says, he's in a whole big discussion about the resurrection. And he says, now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Say what, Paul? Baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? <laughs> this is one of those passages that Christians just like to read on by. Because what's the easiest meaning of this verse? Well, clearly, back in the early church, some people were practicing getting baptized on behalf of dead people. Now, if we're going to take the most obvious, literal, easy interpretation of this verse in English, then that means we should be baptizing people on behalf of dead people. Guess what? We are not planning to do that cross you. I've never been at a church that does that, and I think that would just be just plain weird. Now, why do we absolutely ignore and disobey passages like 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 15? And I could... And I could mention a bunch more, including one of the Ten Commandments, that's the Sabbath, which is meant to be on a Saturday, and almost no Christians obey it. 
Okay? But we could get into a whole thing on the Old Testament laws too. But there are good reasons why we don't follow these passages. The reason we don't, and we're not going to specifically get into 1 Corinthians 11 or 15 today. We don't. I just am using them as examples. But the reason we don't apply those to our lives today is thanks to scholars. It's thanks to scholars who have done the work on the original languages and the original history and archaeology and culture. And in all of these passages, or, or many of these passages in the Bible, at least in 15 and 11, there are good explanations for why Paul and his culture was saying that, that don't apply to us today, and so we can happily ignore them. But the only reason we know that we're allowed to ignore them is because someone has done the hard work to figure out the original context, because the plain meaning in English is not what we're following. The plain meaning in English is not the eternal intended purpose of God in some of these passages. So, here's what we need to say about the Bible. The Bible, here's what you have to understand. The Bible was inspired, and we'll put this up on the screen as well, in its original language, in its original context, to its original audience, okay? Which means our job now is to get as close as possible to understanding the, what the original writings meant in their original context, and then from there, wrestle with that context to bring it into the present. Now again, some evangelical Christians resist this because there's this like fear. It's like if, if we can't just read it and understand it, there's like a fear with that. But there shouldn't be a fear because the Christian faith was never meant to be an individual faith where you could just figure it out on your own. See, we have this idea in Western Christianity that I want to be able to just understand the Bible on my own without help. And that's true of the gospel message. You can understand your need for Jesus without any help. But if you want to understand an ancient book that's thousands of years old and is actually a compilation of different books by different authors that are different time periods old, you are going to need help. And guess what? Let me show you a theology of you needing help to understand your Bible. It's called the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has many parts, and we need all the parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now look at this. I'm going to go to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I'm going to put this up on the screen there, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Okay? So this is Paul's theology of the church. Now, rarely do we as evangelicals apply this to scholarship. We apply it to like, oh, there's gifts of service, and there's gifts of encouragement, and there's gifts of giving, and there's gifts of teaching. Yes, yes to all of those. Scholarship is one of those that we actually have to add in there. We actually need other people who dedicate their lives to to studying the original context and studying the original languages and studying the archaeology and all that sort of stuff to be part of the body of Christ, to help the whole body of Christ understand the scripture you are not meant. By the way, did you know that most of the books of the Bible, when they were written, people couldn't read and people didn't have individual copies of the Bible. I've talked about this before. So you know what that means? Look in the book of Revelation, how many times it says, read this publicly in the church. 
Most of the New Testament letters were meant to be read in community. They weren't, they weren't originally written to people who were going to be figuring them out on their own. They were written to be figured out together as a church. We need each other to understand Scripture. So this is how the church approaches Scripture as a body. Okay, so let me show you how as a body we understand Scripture. So first you've got scholars who research the original languages, cultures, history, and archaeology to see what the original authors were meaning to say. Then you have pastors and teachers and authors who take the work the scholars have done, or hopefully they do that. If they're doing their work faithfully, they're engaging with what the, the part of the body that is called scholarship is, is helping us to understand the Bible. They engage with that and they preach it in local churches or they write books for, for, for Christians to help us understand what the original intent was in ways that are understandable. And then as local churches, we wrestle to apply the scripture. We wrestle with it because it isn't all. Some of it is very black and white and some of it is really difficult to apply to today. So as local churches, then we, we, we wrestle with the scripture with, in discussion, in prayer, asking questions. Nobody's ever bad for asking questions. We create a, a culture where it's okay to disagree and to discern and to go back and forth and in relationship. And then lastly, at the bottom of that whole, pole, of that whole uh, thing is individuals. As individuals, then, as we're growing in the body and learning from the pastors and teachers who are learning from the scholars, and then discussing it and loving each other, that now as individuals, we can, we can read the scripture devotionally and not get way off track on all kinds of weird things. Now, too many evangelical churches are ignoring number one. And when you ignore number one, when you ignore scholarship, let me tell you some of the downsides to that. Because you can have a lot of passion, you can have a lot of zeal, and all of those are good things. And, and certainly scholarship by itself doesn't make a good church, not even close. There's more to life than just understanding the Bible. But understanding the Bible has to be at, near the core, at the core of, of a church community. When you throw out number one, what can often happen is you get a version of Christianity that is not like the historical version. Historically, Christians have been very involved in science and philosophy and, and these sorts of things, intellectual pursuits. Christianity, Christians have often been at the forefront of these things. But nowadays in fear, there are some, uh, you know, there are some elements of evangelical Christianity that, that have become almost anti-intellectual because of fear. It's like scholars have gotten labeled as liberals. And so now anything that sounds kind of like scholarly now is suspect. It's like, well, that's just liberal. They're just taking us away from the true faith. And what you end up with is a version of the faith that might be zealous and passionate, but it can often end up anti-science, anti-intellectual, anti-all kinds of things. Rather than as Christians, us embracing the world and saying, let's bring Jesus into science. Let's bring Jesus into the universities and into the seminaries. Here's what I want to say to you. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is this one. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have become so convinced that Jesus is the truth that I have no fear of any question. And I cross view, I want us to not be afraid of any question. Because if Jesus is the truth, we can ask any question. We can seek in any avenue of science or philosophy because ultimately a true seeking for truth will always lead us to Jesus.
because he is the truth. So let's just finish this message with reviewing the simplicity and complexity of the Bible. I talked to you about simple, simple, complex. Here's how that all comes together. Simple. The gospel message in the Bible is simple. Salvation is through Jesus alone. Even a child can understand it. A child might read through the Bible and 90% of it might go, oh my goodness, I don't know what this is saying. But at the end of it, they will know, oh, I love Jesus, right? If the, if the Holy Spirit speaks to them. So the gospel message is simple within Scripture. The application of the Bible is simple. To understand, not always to do. Love God, love people. Knowing basic right from wrong is simple. It's not hard. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. It all adds up to love. It's actually pretty easy. Don't have sex outside of marriage. It's, it's actually pretty easy. It's not a huge long list. Simple. I actually got three symbols in a complex. I snuck that in. But lastly, it is complex. Reading and understanding and applying scripture passages today, we need each other. We need scholars. We need pastors and teachers. We need the local church. So I hope this has helped you in the sense of knowing your need for the church in terms of understanding scripture, knowing our vision at Crossview, which is we want to be founded humbly, Lots of discussion, lots of room for disagreement, but we want to be founded as a church on a foundation of the Bible and the gospel. And when we say the Bible, we're talking about having teaching and preaching and discipleship that tries to connect with the best scholarship available. So we're actually getting true to the real original context and then bring that in to today, into the 21st century, for us to live and apply in a world so that everything is spiritual and where we're on mission and fighting for justice for the oppressed and the weak. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as a church, would you guide us into truth? Would you help us to truly build Crossview on a foundation of Scripture, a healthy, wholesome, intelligent, and gracious foundation of Scripture that causes us to love you and love people more? And we pray these things in your name. Amen.